1: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy.
0: Fall guy. What's what the poster said?
1: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to
0: make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG 13. Did you know that one in six Northeast Ohioans struggle with hunger? Many people in Northeast Ohio are forced to make tough choices, unexpected expenses, prescription costs, and rising heat costs are all things that can prevent people from being able to put food on the table. And they're forced to make tough decisions, which often results in hunger. But you can help. Each dollar that you donate to the Harvest for Hunger campaign will result in four meals. Donate today by visiting HarvestForHunger.org. Help feed your neighbors. Cleveland.com is a sponsor of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank's Harvest for Hunger campaign. Welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. It is late Tuesday night, just after 11 o'clock p.m. Chris Fedor, Joe Varden with you. Uh, We had Cavs and the Warriors taking in practice at Quicken Loans Arena earlier today. Of course, Game 3 Wednesday night. Um, So we are both back in Cleveland. We are ready to go. We have a lot of questions that we have gotten throughout the course of the day on Twitter. We'll definitely get into those. Uh, First of all, Joe, how was the trip to San Francisco? Um, And how do you feel now that you're back? Have you gotten used to what you needed to get used to in order to get on schedule for the finals game three?
2: Well, um, I mean, I think I'm getting there. Uh, You know, I know I fell uh, asleep face first. Uh, on the carpet um, Monday night. And then tonight I, I passed out. So this is Tuesday night. I passed out for about eh, 15 minutes maybe in the second or third inning of the Indians game. Okay. We uh, got back up. So, um, you know, th- this has been certainly, um, for a number of reasons, the, the most difficult um, playoffs to, to work in. Um, and then the, like the thing that we've never had is a grueling conference finals that preceded a, a finals that you had right. to leave for a day later. And so that was a lot. I mean, not a whole lot of sleep in the conference finals. And then, um, you get out there to San Francisco and your times are off and there's, there's social stuff. And, um, the days for the most part were pretty long. Um, Friday was nice, uh, because there was no practice, but otherwise, it was a grind. So it, you know, it was a grind. These finals are a grind. This year has been a grind. Um, Certainly been the hardest year uh, of the four since LeBron's returned with the most drama and, and all that. Um, But, you know, I mean, it's the finals and just like those guys, just like everybody else, like you don't want to see an end. You want to see this thing go as far as it can go. And, and you just, you know, you try to enjoy it because you know that it might not, This, you know, this might not happen next year. So, um, you know, you just try to take it in for what it is.
0: Obviously, there's been a lot of things that have happened for you being on this beat. You came back at a time when LeBron decided to come back. Uh, You stepped into that particular role. Then you pivoted into what you're doing now, which is the main beat reporter for Cleveland.com and the plane dealer on the Cavs. So there have been so many things over the last number of years since LeBron came back that you would consider memorable. Uh, you talked about how difficult this year has been, and I would agree. Um, do you think it's been the most memorable year for you on the beat?
2: Um, well, yeah, I mean, see, because there's so many things. I mean, this this job, like this beat is is actually, it's so much larger than the job itself because you have to go to all these places, and so you have all these experiences that are away from the arena and away from the hotel. Sure, um, and they happen, you know, and when you're not looking for them, and they happen when you are. Um, but if you if you weigh all the things, like if you weigh um, the two buzzer beaters and what mm-hmm. we've seen in the playoffs if you weigh the, the fight, um, the team, the team fight, you know, uh, before they went to San Antonio and all the blowouts and the trades and Jr. throwing soup and, you know, obviously what happened in game one and Ty being sick and, and like how that was like a year long thing. And we didn't even know about, it, or we did know about it, but, um, you know, he didn't step away until March. Um, just all the drama with Kyrie and then, going to Napa and going to Disney world and uh, you know, New York just, so yeah, I would have to say, you're right. I would say all in this, this is probably the most memorable year, but still um, nothing would touch game seven uh, of the 2016 finals. Um, It would be incredible if if that happened, something like that happened again. (laughs) Uh, that that would still be number one, but then you know you'd probably say a bunch of stuff that happened this year would would fall in there.
0: I feel like we'll have a lot of time to recap, obviously, and yeah. reflect on this season. Um, but before we get into Game Three, and I do want to get into Game Three and the adjustments that the Cavs can make going into Game Three, and how much of a chance you give them, I'm also curious about something too. Um, when did you make the decision? For those that don't know, uh, that listen to this podcast, Joe made the decision that he was going to cover every single regular season game. Him and I talked at the beginning of the year, and I was ready for him to give me a game where I went to Detroit or I went to Philadelphia or I went to somewhere. There, there are always these games throughout the course of the regular season that Joe circles based on his schedule or based on just, just the way that the, the Cavs schedule sets up, um, where he says, hey, can you cover this one for me in particular? I think last year there was a Dallas one in there. But when I asked you that this year, you were like, "Buddy, I'm doing all 82," um, and that was a goal of yours. So when did you come up with that particular goal, and what went into that, and how much of it had to do with like this could be LeBron's last go around? Well, um, I, I mean, there's a number of things about
2: this, and like okay. a lot, like a bunch of it has to do with like my personality and about, um, like I'm someone who believes in the grind and okay. who believes in the process like well process is a is a silly word in the NBA but now you sound like it, LeBron but but like I believe in the grind and yeah. you know, the drumbeat and like the day-to-day um and so like like that's like that that would be a reason that baseball appeals to me as well is just mm-hmm. that because the season is long and it's difficult so I like that um and I like being able to set goals and, and hit them and and to be Um, accountable and, and, and there every night, like, you know, I guess in a way that LeBron ended up doing this year too. Um, So, so that's all part of it. And I wanted to do this once, I at least wanted to say one time that I went to all 82. Um, But certainly uh, I don't know when the exact day was, but I, I definitely made the determination of like, this season could be historic uh, because it could be LeBron's last in Mm -hmm. Cleveland. And if it is, um, I'm not going to miss it. I'm just – I'm not – I'm going to be there for every game, and I'm going to see – you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with everything that I've seen, maybe nothing, um, but I just – I wanted to be there for it. Like, there's nothing I wanted to miss. And as it turned out, I made that call a lot longer – but long before LeBron probably knew that he was actually going to play in every single game. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I can, I can say that that won't happen next year. Uh, LeBron, <laughs> LeBron will know LeBron. Um, certainly take some, uh, s- some breaks there and, and, uh, and then that'll be good. Um, you know, good for both of us certainly, but I just, you know, I mean, even, even if he stays, like you already said it, like this has been the most remarkable year of the four. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm certainly
0: more worn out, uh, by the process than, than I would have been in any previous year, but I'm glad I did it. So here we are. Cavs are down 0-2 against the Warriors NBA Finals. A lot of the guys said earlier today, Joe, that not every 0-2 is the same. Uh, the 0-2 in 2016 felt different than this 0-2, the 0-2 against Boston different because the opponent the level of the competition is much much higher in this series when we're talking about the Warriors a team that LeBron has said might be the best team ever assembled he has called them numerous times Western Conference juggernaut so I think the Cavs understand what they're up against um going into game three how much of a chance do you feel like they truly have because I think they're saying all the right things and they're saying the things that they should be saying at this point in time, we're back home. We play so much better at home. Here's our record at home in the postseason. Here's how we've played in the past when we've had our backs up against the wall and we like being the underdog. And like all those things, you're not going to give up on the season and you're not going to speak in past tense until the other team wins four. Um, So they're saying all the right things, obviously. But how much of a chance do you realistically give them? To win the series. Yeah. Uh, none. Okay. I,
2: I, I, just don't, I don't see it. Um, and you know, as you, uh, they really nice job of setting this up. Um, talking about the different, you know, how this O2 is different than Boston. It's different than golden state in 2016. Um, yeah, I would say so because Kevin Durant wasn't in the opposing uniform in either of those series. Um, and now the Cavs don't have Kyrie. Mm. Um, and that that's just it. I, I mean, you know, Kevin Durant has changed this rivalry um, unequivocally. Uh, it will never be the same. Um, I don't know how uh, any team can build themselves up to, to beat the Warriors. Um, you could say, and you'd be right, that the Rockets almost did it. Yep. Um, but I really just feel – I still feel like – the Warriors just made that. So they just didn't, they just, they just didn't play well. I, I just, I don't know how you beat these, these um, this team with Kevin Durant there. So, um, you know, everything else that you said is true. Uh, the Cavs were able to come back. Um, they do play well at home. They play, actually played great at home for the most part mm-hmm. in, these, in these playoffs. Uh, LeBron's been awesome. Um, and even last year with Durant, the Cavs suffered, I would say, a similar meltdown, not quite as dramatic, obviously, because of the JR thing, but a similar meltdown in game three of last year. They were winning by six with three minutes left and didn't score again. Um, so this is the game in the series that the Cavs always play well. They've won mm-hmm. the other two game threes. Um, so you really feel like if this is going to become a series at all, um, that that game three is the one. But it's just the combination of the Cavs not having the same talent, the Warriors having Durant, and I would add just that the the, the devastating loss from game one. I'm just not even sure. I'm just not. I'm just not even sure um, that they're over that yet. Even though they have now said that they that they are. Um, I don't know that they can recover from that. So so this will be tough, uh, you know, but I, I think you would be more optimistic in game three than in any other game. Um, but still at
0: this point, not looking at
2: uh, mm. a, Cavs winning, a Cavs series victory.
0: So going into game three, one of the things that Ty said earlier today, um, first he said he was not going to reveal any kind of lineup changes or rotation changes. And then he was specifically asked about Rodney Hood. He said, he's going to get a chance. He's going to get a chance. And then he was asked again, does that mean he's going to get a chance in game three? And he said, yes. So Rodney Hood's going to be part of the rotation. Um, your thoughts on Ty going back to Hood and what kind of impact do you think Rodney can have? A lot of people have been calling for him in the first two games.
2: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have they have acute amnesia, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, You know, I mean, Rodney has certainly been the enigma of these playoffs. Um, As you tweeted just a bit ago, I actually did him a favor by leaving this out of the story. Um, He is by far, has by far the worst plus minus um, of anyone in in this tournament. Like, it's not close. Right. Uh, Like, so what, the Cavs are getting outscored by like 85 points or something like that when he's on the floor? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's what, I think that's the number. Like that's, that's atrocious. And, uh, you know, plus and minus can be overrated. They can be taken out of context, but he, uh, that was a sip of LaFink about, um, he, 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 um, he, he, he's shooting 15% from three. Um, you know, he has absolutely 100% played himself out of the rotation. This is not Ty's fault, Right. This is not a, a coaching flaw or mistake in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, Rodney Hood started Game One of of this of the 2018 playoffs, so this is all on him. Yep. Now uh, he is 6'8". He does he does have the ability to switch everything on defense, and in the right situations, he can put it on the floor himself. He can score in transition, and he can catch and shoot a three. Um, So that is the ideal skill set uh, that you need against the Warriors. And the problem is he has not shown any of that at any point in the playoffs. So I I am surprised by this um, in in a way because they should have won game one, hands Mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. And they were in game two for a lot of it, uh, which is a game they really shouldn't have been in, like given the circumstances. And so, you know, I know the Warriors are doing some things to hurt the Cavs, but um, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure about this one. You know, the skill
0: set I get, but the production just hasn't been there. But we'll see how it goes. I want to make something clear. I am not going to defend J.R. Smith. Because in the first two games, I think everybody understands some of the problems that he's had in this matchup against the Warriors. He hasn't been able to hit an outside shot. When he doesn't hit an outside shot, he kind of goes into la-la land. Um, he had the huge gaffe at the end of game one. So this is not in defense of J.R. Smith. But, but I think people have it in their minds of, well, he can't be any worse than J.R., like, he has been worse than J.R. Yeah. during the entire postseason. And I would say the worst of Rodney Hood, um, as bad as J.R. has been, the worst of Rodney Hood that we've seen in the playoffs has been worse than the worst of J.R. Smith. And the best that you can expect of Rodney Hood, based on what you've seen in the postseason, is probably not going to match the best of what you could get from J.R. if Jr is engaged if he's focused if he's making shots like we have seen that at least from him it was in the toronto series he had at least 15 points in three of the four games you know if you go back to the 2016 nba finals his third quarter run to go on that 8-0 run all by himself against the warriors in game seven like he is capable of those things and we've seen that from him so like what you could get from Jr. in terms of good Jr. is probably better than anything you can get from good Rodney.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is. <laughs> it's like okay, Jr. Uh, just had just a ridiculously bad game in game two. Awesome. You know, Clay Thompson has a high ankle sprain. Yeah, which that that injury is so severe you know that, that they always say the dreaded high ankle sprain mm-hmm. and jr didn't touch him you know <laughs> never mind the two of nine or whatever he was from the field but jr didn't get into him you know didn't make him have to try to push off of that bad ankle um it just it was inexplicable but if you think back to game six and seven of the boston series jr was in tatum like he yep. was, he was into him right? and he switched on to Jalen Brown, same thing. And he knocked down threes. And then, like you said, 2016, I mean, they don't have a chip without him. Right. Um, so it's in there with him. I mean, with Rodney, like, I, you, I <laughs> you mean, have no again, idea if it's in there with him. It, I mean, the, right. I mean, like, I guess that's one way to say it. I, like, I mean, he's 25 years old he obviously had the skill set to average 16.8 points per game on a team that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um so it's not like garbage points um you know or or points on a on a bad team like some other guys we could we could name. Um but it's it's just he he you know the 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 numbers suggest and what you see on defense suggests that he has totally shrunk in the moment. Yep. And so i if someone said, you know, he can't be any worse than Jr. I mean, he has proven that he could be. Right. Um, But, you know, he did have one nice game against the Warriors earlier this season. He does have the right skill set. And and who knows? Who knows how much they're actually going to play him? I mean, are they going to give him Jordan Clarkson six minutes? I mean, that's how big of an impact does that make? And maybe he gets out there and gets a couple buckets in transition and they, he helps him steal a game. That would be great for the Cavs. That would be, mm-hmm. be tremendous. But I think you and I are,
0: have similar concerns about this. Um, it's got to be Clarkson, right? If, because, you know, he's not going to expand the rotation at this point in time, going at game three of the NBA Finals. So. It has to be his minutes, right? I mean, you can say that Jr. is not going to play 31 or 37 or something like that, so maybe you cut that down, but it's still like he wants eight guys, doesn't he? It seems like. Yeah, I mean, I've been wondering
2: just about this, um, uh, about the minutes and and who it could be. I feel like Ty is kind of telling you with with what he said in his last two media availabilities, he's kind of telling you that he doesn't know if there's a place for Korber in this series. Mm. And um, if you look at, I hope it's on my screen. I hope it's on my screen. Uh, come on, baby. Yes,
0: it is. Okay. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. It is. It is. Uh, the pure joy that you got just from that. It's the little things, man. It is the little things.
2: And I think I may be wrong, I don't think it's oh no, there, wait there it is, here it is, here it is, Corver, if you go back to um if you go back to the start of last year's finals, okay, so that's seven games, right? no, no, don't do this he um he is eight of twenty five yeah. in the series, yeah, okay, and he's six of twenty on threes, which is. I mean, you could be worse, but but for him, that's nowhere near what he does. And if you think about like who he is as a player, like he has to come off screens, catch and shoot threes. And if he's not, there's not a lot he can do. Um, and that is kind of what Ty has been telling you, you know, because he's been totally completely without question, non-existent in this series, just not non-existent. And Ty is telling you that he has a hard time because the warriors switch everything. It doesn't matter what screen we run for him for, for him. We can't, his guy can't get lost in the, on the screen because they'll just switch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, when they send their double action at LeBron, the one guy they don't lead is korber Yeah. Um, and Ty has gone on to mention that he's, the is not going to be a guy that's going to put it on the deck uh, and score that way. So all of that, Leads me to wonder if Corver is actually the target, um, and you would—I mean, Jordan Clarkson's been been—he, uh, you know, he he's played a puzzling series offensively. Um, there's no doubt about that, but he did make life a little bit more difficult for Steph um, in Game One, and they kind of like how he gets into guys defensively. Um, and the other thing I will say is that Ty has valued defense over offense since the series turned in Boston. Um, so th- this is much more of a guess and me just kind of, you know, bloviating than um, actual information. But, but I am basing this off of what Ty has
0: said on the record the last two days when asked about why Corver can't get going. And I think the interesting thing in those stats, the most interesting thing, You know, shots are gonna fall. Shots are going to uh, miss. No matter how good you are, if you're Kyle Korver, if you're Rodney Hood, if you're J.R. Smith, that's just the way it goes. Um, You said he's taken 25 shot attempts. Think about that in the last seven games against the Warriors. So if you do the math on that, that's 3.5 shots per game. Like that's the thing he can't even get a shot off against that, these guys. Yes. And that's what it comes down to. And if he can't get a shot off against these guys, and he's kind of out of place on the defensive end, um, maybe he held his own at times against the Boston Celtics. But the it's Cavs, I mean, the Cavs deep down are worried about Kyle on the defensive end in certain matchups where it's speed, athleticism, quickness, length, versatility, those kinds of things. Um so if he can't get a shot off and he's not giving you positive impact on the defensive end, it's really, really difficult to continue to run him out there over and over and over again and cling to, um, his gravity and cling to some of the stuff that he's done in past playoff series. Because I think you've seen against the Warriors, this one's just not for him. I, I think we've talked about this before, Joe. Um, I think there are certain kinds of players that bother the Warriors, Uh, just like there are certain kinds of players that bother the Cavs. I remember talking. Yeah, like like
2: MVPs. They give the (laughs) Cavs, especially when paired together on the same court, They really give the
0: Cavs a hard time. Especially when one of those MVPs joins a 73-win team and replaces Harrison Barnes, a guy who the Cavs were like, hey, man, just keep shooting from the outside. We're going to leave you open over and over and over again. Yeah, I don't know
2: why, man. That just really makes it tough on the Cavs.
0: (laughs) But I remember talking to somebody in the Bay Area at the time that the Cavs made a trade for Corver, And they said, Chris, he doesn't bother the Warriors. And I was like, what? Like, you would think that that would be the kind of guy that would because he's nonstop moving, he can get open on screens, uh, he can shoot and make a bunch of threes, and maybe it can help the Cavs win the three-point shooting contest with the Warriors. But they said, I'm telling you, he does not bother Golden State. They feel like they can neutralize him. And sure enough, it's played itself out that way. He's only getting like 17 minutes in the first two games of this series anyway.
2: The, the thing about Kyle um is he's so heady and, and this is not i 'm not talking about anybody else on the team so don't this cannot be taken out of context this is right. solely about Kyle he is so heady um, and he will make the right pass uh, and he knows where to stand on defense um he's thirty seven years old there, there there's just going to be guys who can take him off the dribble but he knows where to stand and how to play deep team defense mm. um, and he he knows how to play this game so like he 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 is doing some things that don't show up in the box score i i actually do believe that but it just goes back to what we're saying like you only have so many minutes you have guys out there around lebron who are supposed to do certain things and if he's not able to do the the one thing that he's supposed to be out there for then you know you least have to discuss is is he the one that you want to switch out so I, I I bet that I I you know I don't think it's outrageous
0: to discuss that what other adjustment do you think they need to make going into game three to give themselves a fighting chance
2: yeah I mean if they could just figure out how to guard
0: Durant and Curry and Thompson they'll be fine it'll be it'll be great I feel like there's been so much conversation about, like, a breakdown and defensive strategies and things that they can do on offense, but I think it boils down to exactly what you were saying. Like, sometimes you don't have to analyze this.
2: uh, Yeah. I I mean, you know, like, the fear – I mean, because the Warriors played a lot better in Game 2 than they did in Game 1, and I think, you know, that was kind of the fear, um, especially – because they didn't play well in the uh they they did not play well in in the conference finals right and I think that's maybe it more than anything um I just (laughs) I and I know that we're going to talk about this on this podcast about this idea of are are they vulnerable period um but this goes back to what we said at the beginning which is not tonight, but the last time we did this, which was just, um, the, the Warriors like on paper are the worst possible matchup for the Cavs, Mm -hmm. the worst. And the Cavs had a golden opportunity to win game one. They had it. We don't need to get into what happened. We all know what happened, but, but at the end it was a game they didn't win. And so now they have to come up with four other wins, um, I just,
0: it's, it's, it's really hard to find where those are going to come from. Okay. So you brought it up, this whole idea that the warriors are vulnerable. Do you buy into that? Well, Um, yeah, I I mean, so so
2: in in general, I, I, I don't understand. um, I don't understand them. I don't understand the degree to which apathy I think set in right because um for them like of their core guys like real core guys you know Iguodala's hurt and then the the three all-stars like like they've been through this all four times but uh-huh. like Durant hasn't so yes. his his tank shouldn't be empty um and yet it does it still seems like they just have trouble um getting ready for some games they make stupid passes they have lapses and lulls. Um, I don't think they're that tough, all that tough, uh, as a team. Um, you know, obviously clay Thompson's a a tough dude. There's no doubt about that. And then I just don't, I don't think they're quite as good as they used to be on the bench. Um, and so if you could find another super team, you know, like the Cavs used to have, um, maybe they would be vulnerable, but,
0: uh, you know, I, I still, I just, I don't think they are in this series. What do you think?
1: Uh,
0: all right. So I go back and forth on this and I think it's a long answer, right? Because I think it requires perspective. Don't you? Well, give it to us. That's what we're here for. So um, the things that you said are, are right. And, and let me point this out. I, um, I've been labeled at times a Warriors fan. Yes. Um, because I talk about them glowingly. And I feel like if if the Cavs would have mattered uh, during the four years that LeBron would have been in Miami and um, we would have been as out there, I guess, as we are now in the media, I feel like I would have been labeled a Heat fan because there were just so many things about that Heat team that impressed the hell out of me. And there were so many things about them that I think fans should have gravitated towards, despite the fact that they were like the hated team and LeBron had the decision, and he stabbed Cleveland and back and all that other stuff. The collective we will always say, um, I want guys who are going to sacrifice stats and sacrifice role for the betterment of the team. I want guys who are going to put winning first before money, before anything else. I want guys who are all about the right stuff. And Miami was all about that. And I feel like Golden State's like that too. And as much as people attack them because like how they got together – And Kevin Durant's decision to go and join Golden State, that's the true definition of a team. Steph Curry stepped aside. Like, the city was his. The whole Bay Area was his. The franchise was his. And he was like, I don't care about anything else. I want to win. This guy gives us a great chance to win. I want you here on my team. Uh, Kevin Durant, you know, he subjugated his ego. He tried to blend his game and change his game so that he could become a better version of himself and the best version of Kevin Durant for the Warriors to be successful. I just think dudes that make those kinds of sacrifices, I think they deserve credit because I don't think every guy in the NBA is wired the same way, and I don't think every guy in the NBA would be willing to do that. And I've watched every single Warriors game in part, Joe, Because I feel like when you're covering the Cavs, there is a great chance that the Warriors are going to be that team in the finals. And I want to know about the Warriors. I want to know what they can do, what they can't do, what they're all about, where their vulnerabilities are, so that we can give a more informed perspective on the team that the Cavs have to beat in order to win a championship. And so that we can give an informed perspective on how much of a chance the Cavs have to win an NBA championship. So I admire so many things about the Warriors and how good they are. Um, So I want to make that known. In saying that, the things that you said about them, I think, are sort of right. Um, Their bench is not nearly as good as it has been in the past. They're playing more lineups, I think, that have uh, weak links on them that should be exploitable to a quality sound defense. Like there are times, Joe, that they're playing Steph Curry and he's surrounded by two guys who really are non-offensive threats or they can't shoot. Like that's just not what you think about when you think about the Warriors. You think about five offensive threats on the court at the same time and they're just too overwhelming for any defense. So I think there are some vulnerabilities. But I also think – They didn't really struggle as much in the Rocket series as people are looking at. You know what I mean? Like, I know they went seven against Houston. But if you dig into that, they gave up a 12-point fourth-quarter lead at home in Game 4, which is very unlike them. And I think you have to give Houston a ton of credit for taking advantage of that. But that was very unlike the Warriors to give that up. And then in Game 5, Chris Paul hit a bunch of crazy, ridiculous shots. But it took those things for Chris Paul and the Rockets to beat the Warriors in Game 5. And if you look at it, they've played better defense. They played in that series better defense against the Houston Rockets than anybody could have imagined. And for all the things that people are saying about Houston and how good they defended the Warriors and how uncomfortable they made the Warriors... The Warriors' their offensive rating in the seven games in that series against Houston would equate to the best offensive rating by any team in the postseason. So I don't think they actually played that bad against Houston in the Western Conference Finals.
2: Well, I just I mean people, and not that we could really ever know this for sure, but people have the take that had Chris Paul not been hurt, they would have won.
1: Hmm.
2: Um. Which, you know, again, you, I mean, that's a purely hypothetical, but it, it, it's, it's hard. I think it's hard to make the argument that, and you're not necessarily making this. I mean, you're just saying over, overall, the Warriors numbers
0: were a lot better than we, we gave them credit for. Um, right. Which I didn't realize. And I know um, numbers can be deceiving and all that stuff, but. A 112 yeah. offensive rating and a 100 defensive rating is pretty damn good against the. Oh Rockets. sure, it, I, I think the point I was make that I would make is,
2: the Rockets the Rockets lost Game Seven. I don't okay. I don't I don't believe that the Warriors took oh. that game from them. I believe that, you know, twenty what is it now? Twenty seven threes. They missed twenty seven in a row. Yeah, twenty seven in a row. They were one of thirty or something like that over a like. that that just that can't be like after like 15 or 16 misses in a row you like (laughs) you know you like james harden needed to take that game over and maybe chris paul would have um but but just for the warriors to be in that spot where it would take a team literally missing 27 consecutive threes to blow an 11 point lead i mean i think that suggests the overall vulnerability so that that brings us to a really sticky question, okay. uh, but let's get to it. I'm going to ask you. You get to answer this sticky question. No oh, thanks. If the if if the Warriors, if we can agree that the Warriors are at least more vulnerable than we thought they would be, mm-hmm. um, then do the Calves deserve blame for not having a
0: roster? capable of beating a vulnerable Warriors team? I'm going to say no. I don't think so. Because I think in certain cases, Joe, their hands were just tied. Could they have done some um, deals over again and and maybe reversed the outcome of them? I think yes. Um, The one that I'll point to is Dwayne Wade. Uh, To move on from Dwayne Wade, who we know is better in the playoffs than he is in the regular season, who has the championship DNA, who may, may not, but may uh, be better equipped in a series against the Warriors, and to move on from him and get nothing in return, and to say that you did that so that you can open up more playing time for Jetty Osman, who is obviously not going to get an opportunity here in the NBA Finals and hasn't gotten an opportunity in the playoffs and Jordan Clarkson, who's been a disaster in the postseason, and Rodney hood who started game one of the playoffs, but now has been bumped from the rotation and we'll see what he gives in game three. Like for that to be your reason to move on from Dwayne, I just think they played that wrong. But aside from that, I think their hands were tied and I think the thinking behind some of the moves that they made, it was sound. Jay Crowder, in theory, should have fit in this particular series against the Warriors if he would have lasted long enough, right? Mm -hmm. He has the skill set. He's bothered the Warriors in the past. He's the 3 and D guy. He can play power forward, small forward, defensive versatility, all those kinds of things. Larry Nance Jr. is the young athletic big who can get up and down the court, get out in transition, offensive rebounds, deflections hands in the passing lane. I think you've seen that at times in the first two games against Golden State. So I think the thinking behind bringing him aboard at the trade deadline was sound. And Jordan Clarkson should, in theory, be the kind of guy that bothers the Warriors. And Rodney Hood, in theory, should be the kind of guy who has the skill set to fit in this kind of matchup against Golden State. So I think it's hard to blame them because, in theory, the moves that they made should have made them better for this matchup against Golden State. Like, the minute that they lost Kyrie, it was going to be really, really difficult because they didn't have that second creator. They didn't have that second star along with LeBron. Um, And that's what you need against Golden State. That's what Houston had for the first couple of games with James Harden and Chris Paul. And then Eric Gordon was kind of the third one. Um, I just don't think there was a lot that they could have done.
2: Well. I would start with with this. Um, We don't know what the offers were for the Cavs draft pick, which turned out to be the eighth pick. Right. And at the time of the trade deadline, it was right around there. Mm -hmm. Um, So we don't know what the offers were. Could they have gotten a Kemba Walker for that draft pick? If they could have, um, I think this series looks different. But I'm not here to say for sure that they could have. Somebody suggested that to me today, but I, I'm not. I'm not going to report that. I gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, you know, I it just it it felt like it it felt like that uh, the way this roster was originally constructed um, was with uh, you know, kind of the belief that the team would. Remained the best team in the East. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the Warriors were untouchable. Uh, that LeBron would get them back to the finals, uh, and that they were the Cavs were preparing for a future without him. Um, you know, the, those aren't just my own words. That has been written and opined, and you know, the roster moves that they have that they made at the time suggest that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they ended up holding on to the to the pick. Um, I don't think that they, they were as ironclad with it as, as others have suggested. Um, and, and I agree with you um, actually, and you know I think we all need to pay attention to this that at the time at the deadline, the moves that were made um, were almost universally praised, including by LeBron, and they were necessary um, because I think the team has constructed, may have struggled to make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I think you've got to give them some room for, uh, like, like, some benefit of the doubt. Like, you couldn't have known that Jordan would be this overwhelmed. Um, and you couldn't have known – well, I, th- that's kind of the one I stick with, actually. Okay. Um, I, I, I think there probably was some things they knew about Rodney, uh, and they chose to ignore them. Um, but, you know, I I mean, the fact remains is that they ended up getting back to the finals and the Warriors are not quite the invincible juggernaut that, that we suggested they were all year Mm. and the Cavs in the end aren't any better than they were last year. And you got, you know, I mean, if the goal is to win,
0: like, are they in the best position to do that right now? Yeah. No, I understand what you're saying. I think the other thing that we have to throw in here, and it's not making excuses for Golden State. Injuries happen at this time of year. Sometimes it turns into a battle of attrition. But but I think to some degree, Joe, some people might have forgotten the importance of Andre Iguodala and maybe even forgotten what the Warriors look like with Andre Iguodala. Yeah. You know, when a team, no matter how good they are, I, th- I think with the Warriors, it's it's like, People think they should overcome everything. And because they have Steph and they have Clay and they have Draymond and they have Durant, like nothing else matters to them. And I just don't know that that's true. Like any team in the NBA at this time of year that can't use its best five man lineup, I think is going to show some vulnerability at times. And Andre Guadalupe is part of the Warriors' best five man lineup. And he's clearly the best guy that they have to defend LeBron, I guess. Draymond is probably a close second to that, but it's been Andre Iguodala. It's always been Andre Iguodala. He's somebody who gets them into their offensive sets. He's somebody who is a champion, a finals MVP, so he's kind of like the babysitter who when things start going the wrong way for the Warriors and they start you know, losing focus and they start having some of those turnovers, and like a lion, they start playing with their food a little bit too much before they want to go eat it. Like, he's the guy that kind of stabilizes that whole thing. Um, And I think people have forgotten how important he is. Whew. Gonna sneeze. All right. Too much Lafinka? No, not at all. Not at all. (laughs) Not at all.
2: Sneezing over here. Um, Yes. uh, Yes. I think, Andre, I think that is a great point. And it just brings me back to um, like, could you
0: say who the Cavs' best lineup is? No. No. I can't. Absolutely not. And, and you know, it varies based on series, I think, but I couldn't give you one in this, in this series against the Warriors. Um, so, you know, it's, I mean, everybody's to blame
2: for this. Um, everybody deserves credit for getting this far. Um, you know, I mean, the, the the circumstances last summer with the change over from David Griffin while he's trying to make trades and they go to Kobe. I mean, that's a tough, that's a ridiculous shoe to have to to step into, um, you know, and, and he was able to find them a point guard and right. they didn't have one. Um, so that, you know, like I said, there's all there's all kinds of credit. There's all kinds of blame. Um and they Cavs could have won game one uh anyway. Yeah. But just yeah, it's it's I mean, I don't know. I mean, like are we are we being too pessimistic to think that they're they're not in a position at all to, to win the series?
0: I think people would say we're being too pessimistic. Um I don't think we are. I think I think we're judging I think we're judging this series and judging the Cavs based on what we've seen and what we've seen in the past. And I think that's completely fair to do. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: mean, yeah, I guess the optimistic view would be you'd say they should have won game one. Sure. Uh, they've won eight straight at home. They're just a great team at home. Um, so we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll see. The Cavs have two chances to uh, to tie this thing up and and then, you know, it's the best team in the world against the best player in the world. And uh, you just kind of have to see how that shakes out. I, I think it, it would be great. Um, it would be great for the league and it would be great for the Cavs and their fans who certainly deserve it for this thing to get tied up somehow. Yeah. Um, and just let this go a little longer. Cause the, the, the regular season was such a grind and was so much and was so like, it just wasn't fun. And really? now the playoffs have been fun. And it's, I've really appreciated for the fans that they've gotten a chance to kind of fall in love with this team again and get back into it in a way that circumstances just didn't really allow when they barely won 50 games uh, yep. during the regular year. All um, right. You ready for questions? I think so. I
0: think, yeah, I think we've, we've covered what we want to get to on, on that end. So let's, let's take some questions. All right. King D wants to know, when do you plan on moving to San Francisco or retiring asking for myself, of course? I think he's pointing that one at me. I believe that's true. <laughs> I am not planning on moving to San Francisco. I love Cleveland. I have a beautiful house in Bay Village. I just put up an in-ground basketball hoop. You know you're committed to the place that you're living, Joe, when you put the in-ground hoop as opposed to the portable baby up. <laughs> that's right. I mean, you you know, in San
2: Francisco, like that would be on this giant slope and you'd lose the ball <laughs> down the hill every time. <laughs> You've got a beautiful home that's affordable and a beautiful community and the lake's nearby and you've got a very flat driveway with a brand new hoop. I don't know what you could possibly want.
0: I would also like to point out that if I felt like the Cavs were better and they had a better chance in the series against the Warriors, I'd probably be glowing about the Cavs more. And if the Cavs didn't have the nightmare regular season that they had, Joe... And you've already talked about what went on during the regular season. I don't think anybody can avoid what went on during the regular season. If there wasn't so much drama with the Cavs, I'd probably be nicer to them, right? And I'd probably write more positive things about them. But there were a lot of things that you had to point out throughout the course of the year about this team. It doesn't make me more of a fan of the Warriors to point those things out. I mean, you lo- like you love the Warriors. Let's not go. Let's, oh, not. my gosh. Here you go. Here you go. You're just going to throw whatever on the fire right now. I just love it. Like, we
2: kill you about that like, privately. <laughs> and then so it just tickles me pink to get on Twitter
0: and see that you've been killed for this by people who don't know us. Uh, Jordan wants to know, how will this Cavs team in a four-year run be remembered in the future? You know,
2: um, I, I hope, I sincerely hope that it's remembered as, um, as the, the, the great period of, of Cleveland basketball and and the time when the whole city and the whole region was brought together, uh, by this one guy and then this one team, Mm -hmm. um, and that it was just something to be celebrated. And, you know, it, it was, uh, something that, that, most of us had never seen, um, before like li- living here, like being mm-hmm. under whatever. Um, and so I hope that's what it is. I hope that, um, I-, I hope that whatever happens this summer with LeBron, uh, doesn't poison that too much. And I hope that, um, it- if it goes the wrong way, I hope that it is in Cleveland for all parties involved. I hope it is handled with dignity this time. Um, because I just, uh, LeBron has been exemplary, um, Mm -hmm. certainly with what he pledged to do on the court. Uh, and I mean, like when I say the words that this will never happen again, like, right. You know, the Cavs or Cavs fans shouldn't be indignant over that like right. what I'm saying is is that you're probably never going to have a run with four straight finals and the, the best player maybe of all time on your team cap captaining all four of those runs like this is unique unique like yep. someday again maybe they'll win another championship and it'll be great for the city when that happens like whenever that is but it's like right now is the time it's the time to celebrate and even if they end up going one and three uh, in the finals, that one is what matters, and, and and I hope that's how it's remembered.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think um, I think you can make an argument. Look, I wasn't around for Jim Brown or Otto Graham. I know the history of it, but I wasn't around for it. I was around for the mid '90s Indians, um, and I would put this four-year run by the Cavs as crazy and topsy-turvy as it has been at times, and drama-filled as it's been at times. I would put this four-year run with the Cavs up against anything in Cleveland sports history over that same length of time, and and it's for a lot of the reasons that you said, um, and it's because of the guy that that was responsible for it and that was leading the charge of it, and I would also say that that I think when we look back on it, we're going to we're going to respect I think what the Cavs did during this four-year run, and maybe even come to the conclusion of. It took that juggernaut in the Western Conference with four All-Stars, with two of the three best players in the NBA on the same team. Like, it took that to prevent LeBron and this group from winning more than one championship in four years. And I I think you can take pride in that if you're the Cavs, that that is what it took. And there's only one team that would have prevented the cavs from winning more than one championship in this stretch and it's that team that just happens to be around at this time. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um all right. This one comes from 216 forever. It says right. what is lebron's relationship with his teammates since a lot of them are new and much younger and different than him? Um well, it,
2: yeah, I mean, it, it, it's um, it's a different relationship than he has had uh, with any team here uh, since he's been here. Um, I, I like I'm not even sure who you would say on this team that he is quote close to. Um, I mean, certainly he has a history with with Jr. and, and mm-hmm. Tristan, um, but it's just not. It's not the same as, you know, as with anybody that, like, when he was with the Heat, like, those guys he considered his friends. I I don't know that he considers these guys to be the case. Um, Like, LeBron enjoys being the mentor, certainly. um, But he, you know, I think he liked it better when one of the guys he was mentoring was a multi-time all-star and future possible league MVP. (laughs) Yeah. Um. I think he, I think he misses that. And then I also think, you know, Chris, and you can speak to this. Um, it's just not. I mean, the locker room dynamics not the same. And LeBron is not the glue guy. Like he's not the guy that like keeps everyone liking each other.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and all those guys are gone. Yep. Like Richard Jefferson's gone. James Jones is gone. Yep. Um, they didn't. They don't really have that guy. And so this team just isn't is as, as close. There's too big a gap in age and too big a gap in like the guys who've been through the wars and the guys who haven't. Yep. Um, so it's, it, it is definitely different than, than before.
0: From Bill. He says, why is Lou choosing Rodney hood over Jetty for game three when Jetty seems the better option? I don't think they think that Jetty
2: can provide them shooting at all uh, right now. Um, I think they feel like all of Jetty's points would come like off of garbage, like, you know, uh, broken plays, offensive rebounds. Like, so if he's able to score, I think that's where it would be. Um, and again, like I, I, I get it. Obviously Rodney's numbers are bad, but he has the potential to be a shooter. And so I I think, I think that's part of it. I also think they, they think that Rodney can handle the ball a little bit if he had to, um, better than than Jetty and, and Jetty's a rookie I mean whatever you want to say Jetty's been doing less than Rodney has um and he I think there's a reason that he really hasn't got a chance at all in these playoffs um they obviously don't think he's ready and you know
0: you're not going to go with somebody who's not ready from a guy with the Twitter handle Freeder, I believe is how you pronounce it Uh, do you think the Cavs thought Hood was going to end up being the starting shooting guard after the trade deadline?
2: Yeah, I I think that's possible. I really do. I I think that they were, there were injuries at the time and they wanted like certain people to be back. So you could look at kind of the full deal. Um, But, but yeah, I think that was, that was probably the idea.
0: Okay. Uh, From Timmy S 24, loyal listener to the podcast. Did he get Uh, in last week? I think he got in last week. Oh, Oh. no, wait. I think he missed it. I think he missed the question session. I don't know. They're all blending. I might have to go back to the tape on this one. (laughs) It's been a long season. Mm -hmm. Um, He says, I'm sure others have asked, but do you expect a defensive philosophy shift after the first two games? Stop switching everything. Also, why did they start Kevin Love at five all year? And blitz pick and rolls if it wasn't in preparation for this series against Golden State. What do you think? So I'm writing this for uh, Wednesday morning. Right. So just scoop yourself. Yeah, I'm going to scoop myself. <laughs> um, I I think. Hmm, let's put it this way. I think the Cavs felt the way a lot of fans did and you did about what happened in the the Warriors-Rocket series in the Western Conference Finals, and they said. We can do that. We can bother them the same way. The Rockets switched everything, and that worked. And it seemed to take the Warriors out of their comfort zone offensively. We're going to do that. We're going to copy that blueprint. And um, and I think that was the wrong approach in the first two games. Like, I recognize why they would want to do that, but they don't have the personnel to do that, and they don't have the training and the habits to do that. So yes. I-, I think... When the Cavs have been with their back up against the wall, um, I've written about this this year, Joe. They lean on the familiar. And for them, the familiar on the defensive end of the floor is blitzing. It's finding the guy that they feel like is the biggest threat and go at him with two guys and try and take the ball out of his hands and force other guys to beat them. And I think that is the best approach that they can have against Stephen Curry. And if they don't do that in game three – I think they're making a big mistake.
2: But but the, but the Warriors have two, two other players on the floor at all times who can totally destroy
0: you for doing that. Yes, and they have so many different playmakers that it becomes four on three with those guys making the plays. But I think there are enough pockets throughout the course of the game where Steph is playing with Looney or Steph is playing with Jordan Bell or Steph is playing with JaVale McGee that you can get away with it on those guys. And I think the result of that particular play, and it is dangerous, and it's a risk, but the result of what that could lead to is better than Steph going one-on-one against Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, Larry Nance Jr., Jeff Green, the guys that he has absolutely shredded in the first two games. And everything in Warriors land revolves around Steph. I know KD's probably more talented. I know he's probably considered a better player. But in Warriors land, it's Steph. And that's the guy that makes their offense go. And I think you have to trap him. You have to get the ball out of his hands because he will kill everybody else on the court, not named LeBron in a one-on-one situation.
2: I mean, can LeBron take any more onus on this? I mean, can he, can he guard KD
0: exclusively? I don't think so. No. Because I think you're asking too much of him defensively and offensively. Like, if they got something consistently, Joe, offensively from somebody else to, like, lift the burden from LeBron and, and create shots for teammates the way that LeBron has for a majority of, of the first two games, then I think maybe. Um, but, but with what he has to do offensively and the responsibilities that he has offensively, like, putting him on KD for a majority of the game is just – I think it's asking for trouble. All right. Last question. Ready? Yes. I think this is interesting. Um, does LeBron reflect on his role in Durant ending up with the Warriors by creating his own super team? Didn't that play a part in Durant ending up with the Warriors? Um,
2: I, you know, I, I think we got into this a lot in 2016 when it happened. And so on the one hand, you say, uh, yes, obviously, LeBron is the trailblazer on this.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, he was like kind of the first to do it with like, like through these where they're all free agents and, and, and like kind of create the super teams. They could go win championships. Um, the, the, the difference, of course, is that in Golden State, you had a team that had been to the finals twice. Won a game one, won it in fifteen, and then lost a game seven and sixteen. Already had um, the two-time MVP, Mm -hmm. and then you take an MVP, and he joins up with that group. So this is like, it's like LeBron was kind of a forerunner to this, but it's still totally different. Unlike anything that the league has ever seen, nothing like the league could ever possibly prepare for. Um, the Warriors deserve all the credit in the world for drafting right and signing guys right and building this impeccable franchise worthy of winning titles. <laughs> and then, like, you add that to the great fortune of them having some cap space in the year that the cap spiked, hmm. And then yep. add to that, like, this very unique player in Durant who has the skill set of an alpha but not the ego. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody else with that I can think of with Kevin Durant's skill set would not do what he did, which was right. you know lose to the Warriors. It, it, actually, having blown a three-one lead to the Warriors and then going and joining them, I I, I can't imagine it. it. He it was his right to do it. He's going to win multiple rings now for having done that. But there's really there was no like. There's nothing you can – there's nothing anybody else can do about that. And and I don't think that LeBron is culpable in what happened there um, because, like, you still just – you can't account for, like – you spoke about at the top of the podcast about the incredible, like, sacrifice that that takes to even do that. And that yep. – that I mean, we are talking about a less than 1% kind of guy with, with that kind of skill set but also that kind of mentality to do it.
0: Yep. Um, before we get out of here, I want to run this by you. Uh, I saw something today, Richard Jefferson, former Cavs player, uh, obviously he's doing a lot of work for Fox sports, Ohio ESPN. Mm-hmm. He's appearing on all these shows. He was on Jalen and Jacoby Joe. Um, and he gave his two cents on LeBron and his summer decision. Uh-huh. he brought up the Portland trailblazers as a potential LeBron landing spot because of Nike. Yeah. Okay. Your thoughts. Um, I mean, so much of the speculation is about Los Angeles, Houston, Philly, um, Cleveland. Those seem to be the four, right? I I don't think I've heard any human talk about Portland.
2: No, I I was just going to say that. I mean, Richard is the only one talking about Portland. Okay.
0: Um, That's a good way to look at it.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you hear more about the Cavs trying to figure out a way to, like get C.J. McCollum, <laughs> then, right, right, right. then you hear about uh, LeBron going to Portland. Um, you know, I mean, Nike is there. Uh, it is a wonderful, it's a, it's a wonderful small city out like way, way, way far away from everything. <laughs> um, it's incredible how like, I mean, it's incredible how isolated I feel every time I'm there and I'm only there for a couple of days. It's just so far away. Um, I don't imagine that. I don't see like why in any way, shape or form LeBron's Nike relationship has anything to do with where he plays, at least as far as like in proximity to the main campus. Mm. Um, like Nike already sends somebody around with him almost full time. Right. Um, we all know I'm a good guy, but like, I, so I don't, I don't get that one. Um, I'll be interested to watch that unfold. I like that's they're not on my radar, but you know, Richard's not no one. He I mean, he knows Lebron. Sure. Um
0: and so I don't know, maybe they had a discussion we don't know about. All right, buddy. We're gonna end it there. Uh we'll we'll I'm sure in the future we'll have a numerous podcasts discussing LeBron and his future and future mm-hmm. destinations. But for now, the Cavs are only down 0-2 in the series, and some team has to win four. So, for the Warriors, they got to win two more in game three, obviously, Wednesday, their first chance to get another one. And if they win Wednesday, like that could suck all That's the it. life out of the Cavs. It's over. Yep. Yep.
2: Yep. They win Wednesday. It's over. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of think the Cavs are going to get this one. Um, but,
1: uh, you know, I certainly, like, I obviously don't think the Cavs are going to win the series, but. Uh, I think they have a chance in this one.